Our reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians, verses 8 to 9. Um, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things... At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And though you, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome again to Trinity Community Church. Hope you had a great week. We just celebrated uh, our youngest son's birthday on Friday morning. Jack is nine. And uh, as, you're, as you're celebrating birthdays as a family, some, some birthdays are easier than others Uh, to give gifts for. So like a four-year-old getting gifts is no problem. They're going to like whatever they unwrap, and it doesn't really cost anything. When they're 13, they want an Xbox and Jordans and a Honda Civic. You're like, is there anything under $500 that you want? But nine, nine is the sweet spot. Eight, nine years old, because they love to unwrap gifts. They're, They're still little kids. They want things that are, that are cool, you know what they want, and it costs like, you know, less than $60 for everything that they want. It's incredible. And whether you're a, a parent or a friend or a sibling, it is, it is really fun to give good gifts and, and to know when you've given a gift that's been received well. And this is actually part of what it means to be human. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We are gift givers by nature because God is a gift giver by nature. And so to be made in his image is to be a giver of gifts. And so I've been so excited as we've been going through this series, Jesus, Money, and Eternity. We're, we're wrapping it up. We're, we're bringing it home this week. This is the last week for it. Uh, and I've been so excited to, to finish with this, this theme of, of God as giver. God is the giver of good gifts. And so we're going to look at this in, in three ways. We're going to look at God as the ultimate giver, our gift of giving, and then third, that the gift is a person, the ultimate gift 
that God gives us is actually a person. So we're going to look at the, the theme of gift giving across the scriptures and how that applies to us. So pray with me and then we'll get into it. And Father, again, we, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you have brought us into this life. We thank you for your creation. We thank you for our salvation. And Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts once again, that you would open our eyes once again, that we might see wonderful things in your word. Especially help us to see that you are an abundant giver of life, that all of life is a gift. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we'll start by seeing God as the, the ultimate giver. And by ultimate, I mean that all giving traces back to God. And so in chapter 9, we're kind of looking at two chapters here, chapter 8 and chapter 9. So in chapter 9, verse 8, Paul writes, God is able to bless you abundantly. And, and this is the NIV, which we normally use and which, which I love. It's my favorite translation in general. But on this verse, I, I like other older translations which say that God makes all grace abound to you. And that word grace is really important to leave in the sentence. It's the Greek word charis. We've talked about this before. You don't need to know very many Greek words, just a couple. Charis, if you're going to know one, charis is a good one to know. Charis gets translated either grace or gift all throughout the New Testament. And so that's the word here. God is able to make his gift abound to you. And then in verse 14, it says, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And again, the word is charis. So we get translated because of the surpassing gift that God has given you. And then our passage wraps up in verse 15 with thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that word there is actually doria, which is another word for gift. But all of this is showing that God is the, the ultimate, the primary giver of gifts. Now, Pastor Tim Keller has written that we have two primary motivations for our own giving, which is the two main gifts that God has given us, creation and salvation, life and redemption. We can actually see the role of God as giver all throughout the storyline of the scriptures. The British theologian Andrew Wilson writes this in his book, Spirit and Sacrament. He says, existence itself is a gift. The creation story is full of gifts. Life is given to creatures. Earth is given to humanity. Woman is given to man. Children are given to woman. Despite our preoccupation with the one tree that was not given to humanity, Genesis draws our attention to the multitudes that were. God gives humans dominion over all of creation, mountain ranges and waterfalls, deserts and jungles, leopards, glaciers, sequoias, oranges, peacocks. He gives rain. He gives light. He gives colors. None of these things are needed by God or deserved by his creatures, but he gives them anyway. Creation is charis. And so not only that, but our salvation from beginning to end is a gift. It is a charis from the Lord. In the incarnation, Jesus taking on human form, we see that the Son of Man is given to us as a child. He's the original Christmas present. He's given for our good and our enjoyment. And to him, the kings and the wise men travel from afar to bring their gifts and set them before the ultimate gift. 
And then think about the parables. When Jesus is, is speaking in parables, almost always the parables have some kind of, of God figure in them. And Jesus is teaching us things that are true about God the Father in these parables. But have you, have you noticed what, what the, the God character is doing in these parables? A farmer scatters so much seed that some of it doesn't even take root. A king forgave a man's debt of 10,000 talents, more than anybody could ever earn in a lifetime. A vineyard owner paid his workers far more than they deserved. A king gave away half of his estate to his rebellious son and then welcomed him back when he came home. A king gave wedding invitations to every poor person and outcast in all the land. Wilson writes that it's hard to think of a parable in which the God figure is not characterized by giving away far more than he should. God is always giving abundantly, excessively over the top. And now think about Jesus's miracles, how excessive and over the top that they are. Jesus turns water into 150 gallons of wine, like at the end of a wedding, 150 gallons. He multiplies bread and fish on two different occasions, and both times there are basketfuls of leftovers, right? So if you're, if you're strong enough and smart enough and the Son of God enough to make all of this miracle happen, you probably know the exact amount that's needed too. But instead, we get baskets and baskets of leftovers. Jesus waits three days before he raises Lazarus to life. The disciples pull in hundreds of fish when Jesus tells them just to throw their nets on the other side. The point of all of this is that Jesus is constantly giving an amount of something that's so excessive and over the top that we have to pay attention. He's trying to get our attention by the, the sheer lunacy of all that he's giving away. We could say it another way, and, and Allison said this in one of our meetings this week, that God is not a God of scarcity, where if we lose something, we have to be afraid we'll never get it back. But he's a God of abundance. He's the God of charis gifts. Whereas John 1 puts it, grace upon grace, which is gift upon gift, charis upon charis. And you know, the thing about, about giving gifts to kids uh, they're so, so happy to receive the gift. If you give a, a child a bag of gummy bears, it is amazing how much they will enjoy it and how fast they will go from thank you, this is the best gift ever, to all mine. You'd say, here's a bag of gummy bears. They said, this is incredible. Thank you, Dad. I love you so much. You're welcome. Can I have one gummy bear? No, they're mine. <laughs> I mean, it's like the doctrine of original sin in a bag of candy. And yet we can be the exact same way in our nature. We receive unbelievable gifts from God. Life, relationships, community, church, work, food, drinks, art, mountains, beaches, gardens, puppies, the NBA finals, all of these good gifts. And he says, will you give just a little bit back out of gratitude? Chapter 8, verse 7, starting our passage, he says to the Corinthians, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace 
of giving. That phrase, the grace of giving, in, in the Greek, it's actually the word charis both times. It's literally the gift of gifting. And then he goes on to say, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And so Paul is writing to to the Corinthians, the same wild church that we looked at in the Life in the Spirit series, and he commends them for their knowledge, for their love for one another, for their faith, for their speech. And he says, add to all of those great virtues that you would excel in the gift of giving. And so that's the second thing we're going to look at, our, our giving of gifts, the gift of giving for us. And what Paul is doing in these two chapters is he is actually raising funds. He's taking up a, a collection from the churches all around the, the Greek world for the church back in Jerusalem, which is experiencing severe poverty and persecution. And so he's drawing on all these new churches across the Mediterranean, taking up a collection so that he can take it back to Jerusalem and bless bless the Jewish believers. And so Paul is saying that he's not commanding them. He's he's sort of compelling them. He says it's a sort of a a test, and he means uh, not like an exam, but rather just to see where they're at spiritually, to see and to know about their love for their brothers and sisters around the globe and, and people they haven't met in different cultures. And we've talked a lot about the why of giving in the last couple weeks, especially last week. We give to, to set ourselves free in this crazy consumer culture. We give so that we might sass the system back, as we said last week. We give in the overflow of love to supply the needs of others, as this passage says. But the question is how. We know the why of giving. Well, how How might we excel in the gift of giving? And there's five lessons right here in the passage we'll look at. The first one is to give from the heart. In chapter 9, verse 7, Paul writes, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Once again, Jesus and Paul and the the whole New Testament, they're, they're going for our hearts. Anytime they're talking about money, it's not, just, it's not just obedience to a command to a certain amount, but rather they're exploring our hearts and they're, they're trying to compel our hearts to become more Christ-like, to become more generous. If God himself is the original giver, then as we grow in his likeness, we will grow in this as well. He's saying with cheerfulness from the heart. And so to give from the heart means to to explore our motivations, to dwell on the goodness of God and his gifts, to consider how he's calling us to give back to him. Our giving should be one of the most prayerful things that we do. We submit our whole lives to God. We submit our needs and our finances to him. We submit our giving to him as well. So that's the first thing, give from the heart. Second is to give out of love. It's chapter 9, verse 12 where Paul says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, that is in Jerusalem, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He's saying we give out of love for God and love for each other. If you think about it, giving is actually the fulfillment of the two great commandments of the Old Testament, that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. 
Both of these, these two commandments that Jesus says summarizes the entire law, they're being fulfilled in our generosity. I would encourage, in addition to your regular giving, that you would make space in your life, make space in your budget just for extra giving as needs come up. That you would, you would set your budget in such a way that if you have a, a family member who's in need, a, a friend who's in need, somebody in your community group who's in need, you have something kind of set aside that you can help them with and bless them with out of this love. There's a principle in the Old Testament that, that the Israelites would not harvest their fields all the way to the edges, but they would leave a little space so that the poor and needy could come through and collect what they need. In the same way, we, we budget, but not all the way to the margins so that we might be able to give out and help others in their need. And so give out of love. Third, give sacrificially. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now this is getting back into the, the, the mysterious place of rewards that we talked about last week. That if you give a little, you receive a little back. And we saw that this is primarily in terms of our experience of God's presence and peace and our experience of inner security. But if you give generously, not in terms of dollar amount, but in terms of relative sacrifice, Paul says you will reap generously. As I said before, it should hurt a little bit for us to give. We should give in a way that it actually lowers our standard of living a little bit. Give sacrificially. Number four, give regularly. And this one actually comes from, from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16. But he says, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Now, of course, this is a, this is a cash and, and coin type of culture. This is, this is pre-online banking and Bitcoin. And so they would bring their, their tithes and offerings to the church service every week. I think the principle here is for regular, uh, consistent giving. And so whether it's weekly or monthly in cash or by check or online, the pattern is regular generosity. We are creatures of habit. Everything we do, probably 90% of what we do, I should say, is the result of habit. You know, when, when you get up in the morning, where you put your toothbrush when you're done brushing your teeth, where you sit in here at church unless the entrance has been changed, almost everything we do is out of habit. And so if you don't make something a habit, it might not happen. Remember, every time we give, we dethrone money in our hearts. So the more that we can give, the more we are, we are rejecting its power over us. We are, we are telling ourselves that money is not our God every time that we give. So give regularly. And then fifth, give increasingly. To go back to chapter 8, verse 7, since you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and love, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul's saying in the, in the same way that you want to grow in everything else, that you want to grow in your knowledge of God's word, you want to grow in your prayer, you want to grow in your, your character formation, it follows that we should want to grow in our giving too. See, my, my hope and prayer for myself, for our family, is that we are making greater sacrifices with time and, and not smaller ones. 
not just giving in proportion with our income, and hopefully that's going up, and so we're giving more, but actually seeing more and more of our hearts transformed to be more generous. And so how to give increasingly depends on where you're at. If you haven't given anything, if you're new to Christianity or, or still exploring it, or, or if you've become a Christian or joined the church, but you haven't given anything yet, I always encourage people, just give something. It doesn't matter how much. I mean, you could just go on the website and make a contribution of like $4. But just in doing that, you've, you've done something powerful. You've, you've taken the first step in breaking the power of money over you. But just start somewhere. Second, if, you're, if you have given or you're giving sporadically, consider giving something monthly, even if it's 1% or 2% or whatever it is that you can do immediately. Just begin to give something regularly. Now, if you are giving regularly, I would encourage you to, as we've talked about before, make a plan to move towards tithing, giving a tenth of your income away. In the Trinity, we don't demand that that's here. We don't require it, but we encourage you to, to follow this biblical principle of giving at least 10% away as a way of protecting your own heart from greed, as a way of, of setting your own heart free. Now, this might take some adjusting your budget. This might make some, require some changes in your life. I remember at one point when we were living in Louisville, I had just gotten a, a promotion at the church. It was a large church we were serving at. I got kind of bumped from one level to the other. And so it came with, with a significant raise, you know, ministry terms, significant raise. Um, but I did the smart, natural thing, and I, I went out and I bought a German car. Now, I am German. I'm a German-American, so I can do that. And it was a Volkswagen Passat. It was pre-owned, so it wasn't crazy. But it was noise. I mean, this was my favorite car. I love this car. But like six months later, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. You get a little raise, and then all your expenses just, just get right there immediately and like go through the roof. So our house was falling apart. I think we started preschool with one of the kids. All of these expenses, the food's going crazy. And we just realized the only way to not be losing money every month is either to scale back on our giving or sell the car. So we sold the car. Bought a, a Honda Accord from like the 80s that was like sunburnt all across the tops, like massive sun damage. The guy selling it was like, you could probably fix this for a few hundred dollars. I was like, no, I need to feel this. <laughs> this is good for my formation in Christ. I need to just embrace it. Just take the L. <laughs> Lastly, if you are tithing regularly, consider what it might look like for you to excel even more in this grace of giving. It doesn't have to be all here. That's not what we're after. Perhaps you give 10% here and you work towards giving another 10% somewhere else, other ministries and organizations. Maybe even if your salary keeps increasing, but your expenses aren't really increasing to match it. I've seen people set a, a, a maximum for what they're going to live on, and then anything they receive above that, they give away. In fact, somebody shared uh, a book with me uh, during this series called God and Money. It's written by two Harvard MBA graduates. And what happened is they were in graduate school together as believers, and they began to realize how much money they would make when they graduated. And so they decided, and they, they took a vow with their families that they would set their incomes at a certain level. It was basically on par with whatever the, the average household income was in their cities. And then everything they made above that, they would give away. 
So I don't know what the average salary is for a Harvard MBA, but I'm guessing it's, it's fairly high. And so they've done that throughout their lives. They've given probably half or more than half of their income away. And just imagine how much fun it would be to give away that kind of money. I mean, that would be an absolute blast. And I think this might be what Paul has in mind when he, when he actually lists giving as a spiritual gift in Romans 12. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is giving, then give generously. I think it's the same as like the gift of evangelism, where we're all called to, to share our faith. We're all called to give generously. But some people are just going to be supernaturally gifted for it. They're going to be positioned by God in the circumstances of their life to be incredibly fruitful at it. And this could be some of you. Now remember, before we move on, all of this is in response. All of our giving is just in response to the giving that we've received from God. If all of life is a gift, if all of, of salvation is a gift, then we cannot ever outgive God. We're only giving back to him from what he's given to us. And so that's the third and final thing. We're going to look at the, the ultimate gift, the greatest gift that's ever been given. The verse comes in chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace or the gift, charis, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, this is, is Paul's way of saying that, that the most amazing gift, the, the once for all, over the top, excessive and abundant gift has already taken place, and it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. The Father giving his only Son to us, that's the gift. And further, Jesus himself willingly giving up his own life in our place. That's the gift. Paul says that Jesus was eternally rich. He was one with the Father, existing for all eternity in, in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the heavenly places with everything he could ever want. And yet to save us, God's people, from our sins, he had to momentarily give all of that up and come to this earth. Even more to be born as a child, to go through childhood. I mean, to go through puberty, to go through rejection by his peers, to go through everything in life that we go through for us. He spent his ministry in meager conditions, moving from place to place, relying on the hospitality of others, owning basically nothing. And yet even that, that's not exactly what the verse is talking about. It's not just that he was financially poor, but rather that he gave up all of his spiritual riches when he went to the cross. That he laid down everything. That he became like us so that we could become like him. That he identified with us poor and needy humans, we who could not save ourselves. And that's the second half, that we are spiritually poor. We are bankrupt apart from Christ. That we have no way of earning our way back to the Father. No way of saving ourselves. No hope apart from Jesus. We are eternally poor, and yet by Christ's sacrifice, everything that's true of Christ gets transferred to us. Everything that's true of us and our, and our sin gets transferred to Christ on the cross That's the payment that he made. 
but everything that Jesus has gets transferred to us. Restoration to the Father and forgiveness of sins, right standing before the throne, fullness of the Holy Spirit, joy, peace, security, life, all of it gets transferred to us through his life, death, and resurrection. We are made eternally rich. This is the most amazing gift, the most amazing charis that's ever been given. Christ himself. Andrew Wilson writes, every breath, every step, every meal, every vista we have is a gift. What did you have that you did not receive? But they recede into significance before our Lord Jesus Christ, the gift himself, like stars fading before the rising sun. All other gifts that we receive, all other gifts that we give are all a dim reflection of the gift of this person, Jesus Christ. Living in our place, dying in our place, his life for ours. It's the good news of the gospel. It's our reason for giving, but even more, it's our, it's our hope for life. It's everything to us. It's the whole storyline of the Bible that God has given good gifts, abundant and extravagant to his people. He doesn't command that we respond with a certain gift, but once we see that all of life and salvation is a gift, it makes us like him, a, a gift-giving person. And so the apostle ends his passage like this, and we'll end our series with it as well. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, as we just reflect on the gifts you've given us, we can't help but be overwhelmed by your goodness, that you would give all of this not only to us who would believe, but to the whole world, life in all of its fullness. And yet I'm sure all of us feel a, a, a dual thing of, of satisfaction and heartache because we know how painful this life can be as well because of all of the brokenness of the world in our hearts. And so, Lord, it is your gift that you would send your son, that you so love the world that you gave your only son for us. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that salvation's been made available through your gift, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us to feel this in all of its fullness? Would you help us to be transformed by the goodness that you've gifted us with? Would you make us more like your son and his generosity? Lord, I thank you so much for this church and the, the generosity that exists here, the incredible sacrifices that have been made, that every time we've had a need, a member's had a, a need, whatever it's been, that it's always been met by this church. Lord, this church already excels in giving, but would you let us to, to experience even in even greater measure the fullness of generosity that you might have for us. Lord, increase in us. Do this in us as an overflow of our love for you and one another. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.